Welcome to the OA Light a Candle Meeting Podcast. Visit our website at oalaig.org where you'll find several speaker feeds with over 400 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and a, and a place to donate to keep this special service active. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Casey. I'm Casey from Pulsover Eater. Um, this is being recorded, so that's not my real name. I use my dog's name. I have a unique name, and um, so I just prefer for internet searches my OA uh, story not be found for work purposes. <laughs> so um, anyway, just want to preface that. And um, my Labrador dog is a big fan of food too, so I figure it's, it's, a, it's a good combination. Anyway. Um, so I am a compulsive overeater, very grateful to be here, um, and um, uh, gosh, I, I was trying to think the last time I shared at this meeting, and you know, I was, um, my husband gave me a ride over here tonight, and I was, um, you know, I somehow think, I really appreciate, um, first of all, happy birthday, Mickey, and welcome to the newcomers, and congratulations to all the chip takers. I so related to what everyone said, and I always relate. I get teary-eyed when I see people take chips because I just, um, those precious few days, the 30, 60, 90, and the newcomer chip, and the profoundness of the birthdays, and what I heard was about simplicity of, of not making this a complex program, and I still think, like, I need to come here and um, after, you know, a chunk of years and um, entertain you or um, <laughs> tell you something different that's not my story. And the bottom line is, it was funny, I said um, to my um, husband, who's very supportive of this program, he's a normie, I'm like, what do I share tonight? And he goes, well, why don't you just share what it was like, what happened, and what it's like now? And I'm like, oh, God, you've heard too much from me. So it was pretty funny. I just started laughing. I was like, I thought I was going to get some new material from him or something. But anyway, um, uh, so to qualify, I've been in Overeaters Anonymous for, um, I've been coming here for close to 20, 21, 22 years. And I have um, 20 years of abstinence, and April 15th, tax day, is my uh, abstinence date. So if I make it to April 15th, this year I'll have 21 years of abstinence. And um, I just picked that day because it was such a, like, blur and my sponsor, because I, I knew I'd pick somewhere around there, but I was just so broken when I came here. I couldn't even remember what the day was, and she said, just pick something mid-April. So that's what I did. And... Um, uh, Body-wise, because I know there's people listening to this um, around the world um, and can't see when we speak up here, so I think it's always important, um, you know, we qualify weight-wise, because when I was new, I was really what I cared about. I wanted to hear what people lost. So um, I um, am about, I think, probably 80 pounds down from my top weight. My top weight was over... Um, I, I stopped weighing myself. It was just too humiliating. I couldn't keep getting on scales, 230, 240. I don't freaking know. And I can also qualify as an anorexic. I've been hospitalized for an for, as an anorexic um, close to 100 pounds. And um, I don't weigh myself today, but I think my clothing, my clothing size previously, it was a 22, 24. 
my closing size today, I think, is like somewhere around an 8, a 10, somewhere in there. So I, I don't wear a size 22 anymore for the grace of OA. So that's I owe that all to OA. And um, I, too, am very passionate about ovaries anonymous. Like, I was um, – I this program has given me a life beyond my wildest dreams. And I was listening to a speaker, one of my favorite speakers, who, who really talks about um, just the essence of the program and how, like this big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, our primary text, that I've never been good at, like, going to lengthy book studies. That hasn't been my thing. I always, I love going to book study meetings, but I'm, I've never been like a student in my life of like digging in and analyzing words and going deeper and spending, you know, five days on a page. And I was reminded by the speaker that this is an experiential program and how it happens and how I can, I I'm, can attest to that, 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 um, the difference between this and all the other gazillion, quote, weight loss, you know, rah-rah things I've tried in my life is this is experiential and I get to experience it by someone else who has, has walked before me and has had the hell and insanity and the, <coughs> the degradation of where the food took them. And I can hear what it was like, what happened, and what it's like now, and that their life has changed. And it was through, like, going out in life and messing up and doing the deal by the guidelines of the book. Like, I just, because I spent so long in my early days hiding, that was one big thing, being a compulsive reader. I was a big isolator. You know, my, you know, a few things of what it was like. I started compulsively overeating at age 11, and um, uh, it was just, an up and down roller coaster from there. It was. Um, it started with just a 10 pound ga weight gain, and then went on my first diet, lost of 10 pounds. And as soon as the diet was over, you know, started binging, gained 20 pounds, lost 20 pounds, gained 40. So that was my life, and and, and it was. It took up so much of my life from ages 11 to when I got back here in my late 20s. And um, so I came, you know, so. I would do, I would go on these just huge volume binges and these massive diets and gain and lose 80 pounds at a time in a short period of time. And um, that was my experience of life. I mean, I somehow got through school and college and in, in a career and all this stuff, but it was so limited. My life was so small, you know. And so when um, I first came to OA, um, I – I went to meetings every day, and I I was just immersed in the program all the time, 24/7. Outreach calls, everything, because that's how I needed to be here. I was like on death's door from this disease of compulsive eating, and um, so when, um, but as soon as when I started working the steps, like life started, life started getting bigger, you know, and that thing, you know. I now have problems in areas where I didn't have areas. I really didn't have these areas of, like, being married and how to do this or traveling around the world for work and how do I stay abstinent in these places. Like, that was not my life. Like, my life before was, like, draw the drapes, order takeout, go to the supermarket, get mass amounts of sugar, salt, starch, 
and lock myself in for the weekend. And that's what it was like for me with the food. I'm a hardcore compulsive overeater. Um, it, 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 um, you know, I was thinking there sitting in the chair, I was like, why did I eat so many years? Which is like, you know, here I am saying it's not an intellectual program. It's an experiential program. But my mind will still sit there and say, why did I blah, blah, blah? Like, you know, my, my sponsor is jokes with me. She's like, you're being too global. You're, you're, you know, globalizing things. You're, um, you're, um, and she's like, keep it simple, you know. And um, so it's, I still would like to figure it out because that's what my brain has tried to do for so many years with this disease. And so the big book has taught me by just doing this stuff, by doing it, like I get to dig in and do it and get out in life and mess up. And that's why, like, I have a sponsor, I have sponsees, I have service. And um, so I was really thinking about this week and thinking about talking here, too, just about the whole thing when, when like, the disease of compulsive eating has stopped me so much from taking risk in my life. Because life would get bigger, and then I would just have to sabotage and start eating again, <laughs> and then I'd be obsessed about what I just ate and, like, in a vortex of obsessing about food, um, and that takes me out of taking any further risks, and, you know, there was someone in our program who had many years who was a huge inspiration to me, and I think I've quoted her before on podcasts, Doris, who, you know, those of you who remember her, and she was just amazing. And she would get up here. I think she came into program in her 60s, and she died in her 90s absently. And she'd sit in the front row, and she was just so amazing. And she'd sit there, and she'd write in the book. You know, she'd always say, go with love when you should write comments. And then she would also say, um, take risks. And I'll never forget that. I used to read that and be like, what does that mean? I really – so anyway, it's just been something in my life today that has been – uh, uh, overriding theme. So, anyway, um, just to, so I talked a little bit about what it's like. I ate and I ate and I ate. I first came to my OA, an OA meeting when I was 15, and I'd gotten out of the hospital from anorexia, and um, I started gaining some weight, and I was totally freaked out, and I found this OA meeting. I grew up, I was born here, and I grew up in a small town in Colorado, so I was living there, and it was this very athletic, shiny ski town, and I just felt like an alien. Like, I was just thinking the whole time and dieting, and so I found this OA meeting, and there were four people there, and um, that was my introduction to OA, and, you know, I was at the intergroup meeting today at the delegates meeting, and um, our um, young person's chair was pitching about the young people's meetings that we have here in Los Angeles, and I just really want to make a pitch how important that meeting is and how important it is that we share the message, you know, with young people. Because, like, I don't know how I found that room, but I was welcome there when I went in there at 15. I did not stay because I was like, this is just too much information, and I was still not done eating and binging, so I really had to go out and do a lot more. Um, and same things with food until I came back in my late 20s. But um, so, yeah, that was my first OA meeting. I went to a few meetings and then 
came um, out didn't didn't keep coming back till I was in my late twenties. And my bottom basically was I was in my late twenties, living in Los Angeles, and my life had gotten so small. And I had gotten um, let go on a, a job that I was working at that I was miserable at, and um, I was just eating and binging and abusing. Um, colonics. I was I was totally out of control. I was actually not even at my top weight, but I was at my top point of being so suicidal with the food. And only people who are compulsive overeaters know what it's like to feel that feeling of being suicidal with the food. Like, I didn't have enough bravery to take my life, but I just couldn't stop eating. And I couldn't. I couldn't and I felt like I, I couldn't do life without the food. That's why, like, this whole thing of the program being experiential, I'd come in and back into meetings, and, like, I heard one of the chip takers talk about, like, I really didn't believe that people ate the way I ate. I was like, no, 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 you don't get, like, I'd I, I see people. And that's why, like, I find pictures really important when at, at meetings, like, I would, I would actually see physical evidence that people did eat the way I was eating. So I was somewhat intrigued and kept coming back, and it took me a year, a solid year of coming to meetings and using those three minutes, just crying, dumping, and sharing what I ate. That's what I did. And that's, like, I so welcome newcomers. Share whatever you need to do. Like, when you're new, that's what you're supposed to do. That's why we're here. When you have some time, you know, I've learned a minute on problem, two minutes on the solution. But when you're new, like, just dump, 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 and we're here for you. So because this being such an isolatory disease, it was so freeing. It was, like, my first step one of just sharing what I was doing with food. It was so secretive. So um, I did that for a year. And um, what only kept working is that my heart broke open a little bit to finally ask someone to sponsor me. It took me that long, and I got a sponsor, and that's when I started my abstinence. And my abstinence is three meals a day, a snack if I need it. And um, she started um, walking me through the 12 steps of Overeaters Anonymous, and my life started to change. That's what happened. So um, it... I argue, argued with her about God in, in parks before a meeting. I, um, I knew step one was really easy. Like, I actually knew that I was powerless over food. So um, that was evident to me. Um, but what I didn't know, which I still discover 20 years in, is, like, food was just the answer to an inner part in me that is so wound tight. And when I would eat it would be the great exhale. And so that's what food did to, to me. And when I, when still, when I read the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, when I hear, um, you know, people describe in the big book what alcohol did, does for the alcoholic, it's the same, same thing of what food does for me. It doesn't do that anymore, but it used to for many years, and it worked for a long time. It, it just relaxed me. It gave me a state of checking out of this very um, unmanageable anxiety that I was co constantly feeling. So um, I found that the more I came here and the more, like, I just followed in the footsteps of people that went, that had abstinence, and I just, like, 
you know, I've heard it before, like, you know, this this one guy who talks about a sponsor who said to him, you know, and he said, um, he was like, you know, will you sponsor me? And he was like, yes, I will. And then the guy just broke down crying because he was like, oh, my God, it's the first time I asked for help. And then, um, you know, his sponsor says, you know, you don't have to like what I tell you, uh, what I'm going to tell you to do. You don't have to agree with it. You just have to do it. And that, again, was like I, I've had sponsors who have said that to me, and that saved my life because once I try to intellectualize what they're telling me to do and I don't just, like, you know, just show up, clean up at a meeting or, you know, greet people or make calls or do these things that I, I just intellectually I debated that it has nothing to do with helping my food disorder. But experientially, it completely eradicated my obsession with food. And that is how I got to God. I always say that, like, my spiritual experience, I'm not, like, I am of the garden variety. I really need to do this work to get to God. I talk to sponsees, it gets me to God. I do service, and it gets me to God. I don't isolate, and, like, it's never steered me wrong, sponsor direction, so I'm really grateful for that. And um, so, yeah, my life started to change, and as soon as I got to the ninth step, things really started to change. And what I experienced is life happening, right? So I got into a new career when I got absent, actually, and I've been in that career for this many years. And um, um, I have learned how to go through really tough times in work traveling around the world for work and staying abstinent and utilizing this program. And that alone, like, I literally, like, one of the chip takers talked about just learning to get, like, through 20 minutes at a time. That was my <coughs> mantra in the beginning. Like, how do I just get through an hour? Because I could not get through from breakfast to lunch without binging. I really, really couldn't. And so the evidence of a, doing the work, working the steps, working with others, and then being able to make it through, like, a week without binging, a miracle. Um, making it through a month, 30 days, 60 days, 90 days, and then to a year. It's so, it just, it, it opens my heart so much. And, you know, I, I really get the message from people who talk about this program with the enthusiasm and the fire of how that worked for them. So, you know, I really always try to share about that because, you know, that's what I gravitated to when I was, I switched sponsors about seven, no, about three years in, and I gravitated towards a woman who just really had a passion and fire for the program. And she really, like, I was just like a puppy dog. She just threw me in and she was like, here are my other sponsors, give them a call. Go to three meetings a week, you know, at least. One must be a literature meeting. Make three outreach calls a day. And at that point, even three years abstinent, I was having trouble with the food even within the three meals. And my meal choices were, were wonky. And I was desperate once again. And I just got deeper into the big book. And um, things got better, you know. When I got busy, I got better. And um, where I am Today, it's very interesting because, like, over 20 years, like, life has changed. So, you know, I've been through life experiences. I've been through my mother dying of cancer. I've been through 
relationships working, relationship breakups, coming in here crying over that, um, choosing really inappropriate men, <laughs> then like making more sober choices, um, meeting my husband 10 years ago actually, and we've been together for that long, and it's a miracle and God-given, and um, I would never be able to be in a healthy relationship with a healthy man without having my sobriety with food and the program, period. My choices would have continued to being picking drug addicts, alcoholics, and, you know, um, inappropriate people that weren't giving me what I need because I certainly couldn't show up for myself. So I would always choose people that, um, uh, you know, couldn't show up for themselves either. So that's just like a side gift. And um, so... Um, yeah, and so for today, I just want to get current. So I, my abstinence is the same. You know, I, I surrendered to a food plan about, I guess, that 15, 17 years ago. I don't even know how long. It was when I started working with this sponsor that I was just telling you about who I, you know, caught the fire from her. I really did. And um, uh, it became evident to me there were certain food groups that I couldn't eat like a lady, and I was really a slave to them in my abstinence. I had to get honest with it, and I gave those, I let those go, and I really got the power of what it talks about in the doctor's opinion, where it talks about the phenomenon of craving and the allergy of the body and obsession of the mind. And that allergy of the body thing for us compulsive overeaters is real, and sometimes it's certain food groups for people, which it is for me, and also it's food behaviors, you know, like for some people it's like eating in their car or whatever the behaviors are, or you know, eating at certain times or whatever. And um, when I let those things go, I've shared about it a gazillion times. One of those things was um, muffins. I, like, cried over those muffins. I shared about it, those freaking muffins. I couldn't even, like, when I gave those up, I had to go through 90-day detox from those freaking muffins. Literally, literally. And I was so... Sad. I, I literally felt like a family member died when I let go of those muffins. And I knew that's where sometimes for me the self-will really works because I was determined. I was like, F this. I was like, if I'm this addicted to that, I am going to give this 90 days. I could always go back to those muffins 90 days later. Why don't I just give it a try? Like, why don't I try? Um, and after those 90 days, I always share this the obsession broke and you know 15 whatever years later I haven't touched that I haven't touched a handful of food groups that I was slave to and they do not call to me and if that is not an evidence of the phenomenon of craving allergy of the body obsession of the mind I don't know what is but I had to be willing to go through the most uncomfortable 90 days I think of my life seriously like I think my cat dying and my mom dying was not as bad <laughs> as giving up those muffins. Because those, I mean, I'm say, that's, you know, I mean, that's what we relate. Like, only a room full of compulsive readers would laugh at that and know our attachment, you know. And um, that's a spiritual malady, too. It's a spiritual malady. So... For today, I want to just kind of wrap up and take questions. Um, so for today, life is in session. Career stuff is shifting. You know, my, my place in my career stuff 
um, my spirit is shifting it, and I'm trying to find my way, and I don't know what that way is, and that's very painful for control freaks like me. Um, and so the trust, like the step two and step three is really hard for me in certain areas. Um, I'm so blessed to, like, um, have such great relationships in my life. My father, um, my last remaining parent, has dementia and Alzheimer's. I'm the only sister here with boots on the ground. It is painful. It is hard. I share about it, honestly, at meetings, and I cry. And um, it's so painful to see. And um, I'm learning how to be of service with um, moderation as much as I can. So that's one thing that's currently going on. So I'm learning how to get through that absolutely. And there's so many people I reach out to have gone, gone through this before me. And I reach out to them just as, like, any other thing I've gone through. Um, I am. I'm trying to take more risks in my life. Like, one little story. Um, uh, I live part-time in Joshua Tree, and I share about that. And I'm involved in the fellowship there, too. It's great. And, um, you know, this past week, funny story, um, you know, it's, it's dry, desert, desolate there. I love it there. It's quiet. It's very different life. And, um, um, you know, the community we're around there is very kind of artsy, hippy-dippy or whatever. And there's this marine base in the town next door. It's the largest marine base, I think, in the U.S. or the world or whatever. It's in 29 Palms. And, um, you know, OA has taught me, you know, these are people that, you know, it says in the big book, were people that normally would not mix. And that is giving me a zest for, like, I'm always interested in, like, God, you know, it's like it's such an isolated thing. And there's, there's um, I don't even know, you know, they weren't laying on the base or whatever. I don't know why I'm telling you this story. Anyway, I'll just wrap up with, <laughs> this is about taking rest. So um, we met a, um, an officer and his wife, and they were super cool. And I was like, God, you know, we're so isolated. Like, this is what always taught me, to, like, engage with people in a different way. And I was like, you have such a different world out there, blah, blah, blah. And I got an email from her, and she was like, you know, I was really thinking about what you said, and I'd like to invite you to come for a private tour. And I said to my husband, I was like, oh, my God, we've got to miss work. We're going to be there. This was last weekend. It was on a Tuesday. I'm like, let's do this. We're never going to be let on the base. Like, I want to know what the world is there. So I thought it was going to be a walk and talk. It was not a walk and talk. Cut to helmet on, going like fast on these vehicles in like little Iraq village, shooting automatic weapons. I mean, literally, this was like what was happening. And um, like training, simulation training, and it was so freaking awesome. And just in terms of doing something in a safe space, we, we might have some people of military in the room that might know, but that was, like, so risk-taking and out of my zone. That's what OA has taught me. And, like, it was such a great community, and I'll get together with them again. And anyway, that is just a silly story. I don't know why God wanted me to share that, but it really it really is, like, the theme of, of doing things that are outside my zone. And that's what OA has taught me. So I'll just open it up to questions. And uh, I think it's the most bizarre share I've ever had. But anyway, welcome to every question. Thank you. Okay. What does my program look like when work gets really, really big for me? It's a great question. And um, my program stays the same. 
and this is how I've done it. I have worked because I know that I have I will not I have not I will not have the career I have today without programs. So while there are times that I have to work late or do things or whatever to skip a meeting or, or, or this or that, I always make it up. When I travel for work, I always go to a meeting, no matter where I am in the world, period. I make contact with fellowship um, wherever I am in that world. Um, I email my food when I'm traveling. I, I do things, I really, really up it. And I stay committed to my food plan around work. Someone wants to schedule a meeting, like if I, if, if, if it's up to me to schedule that meeting with them, I will not do it around lunchtime or dinner time. The most precious, you know, it's like those things, my three meals are like sacred to me in order for me to show up to my life. If it is during meal time, I'll bring, I'll bring my lunch or I'll say, you know, I mean, things like that that are non-negotiable because I'm insane when, like, I get low blood sugar and I haven't eaten properly. These are the things that I've learned of self-care. And um, it may look different. The routine may look different, but I keep it very, very much the same. So. So the question is, um, how do I, how do I um, uh, get out of the I'm not good enough so you can go bigger in career or life or whatever? I mean, it happens to me every day, every day. You know, I wake up with that mind of like, um, wow, glass half empty like where what can I be worried about like my addiction to worry and fear is big and so like the routine just like what I do with work stuff the routine stays the same like get down on my knees in the morning talk to sponsors in the morning it's just like the most solid reminder for me um, and um, to work the six and seven steps and I've been doing with my new sponsor I have a new sponsor I've been doing the AEIOUs at night that's huge you know, abstinent, um, what did I do for exercise, what did I do for myself, I, um, what did I do for others, and you uncover, is that everything, E-I-O-U, and that uncover thing is really, really helpful, and also, like, five things I did well and what I'm grateful for, the five things I did well are huge, like, it could be, like, literally letting someone merge onto the freeway. <laughs> That's pretty good for a compulsive reader, <laughs> especially if I'm, like, going to dinner. No. Um, so, um, but, like, the little things, like, literally the five, that, that, that's what I can say, the five things I did well, like, it's a reminder of being in the solution. And this program, like, forces me to be in the solution when I have a disease of self-pity and self, self-self, so egocentric, so... That's a great question. The question is, do, does my meal plan feel like a diet and feeling challenged and trapped with committing food? The answer is no. My food plan and my meal plan gives me the utmost freedom. 
And my sponsor always said to me, she said, wear your abstinence like a loose garment. It's got to be something that does not feel like, you know, a corset. It's got to feel like a loose dress, basically, and something that you can live with. And in the beginning, it, it was much looser than it is now. It had to start like that. And then um, when, um, when certain things became more like eating things that were hurting me more felt like bondage of self and killing me. That felt worse than committing my food. Now committing my food gives me great freedom. I commit my food, and it's all food I love, basically. And I can show up in a social situation and be free. I'm going to a family dinner tonight, which is very triggering, okay? Guess what I am doing? I'm bringing my meal, all right? That's, those are the things. It gives me freedom. I can, like, hang out with my niece and nephew. I can, like, hang out. And so, anyway, um, but, it's, but I guess my thing would be, like, look at the choices. Are they too limiting to, to feel that way, so? Okay, that's it. Thanks.